0: I everybody here tonight. Pastor Lucas, if you don't know me, um, And so what we'll do tonight is we're just going to continue the discussion that we had last week, and tonight we'll continue the discussion on eternity, and we'll, we'll have an emphasis on hell tonight. Um, and what I want to do at the start of this is I actually want to um, give you all some witnessing techniques. And these will be witnessing techniques specifically for people who doubt the idea of God or deny God, totally deny God, doubt the idea of God, maybe an an atheist, an agnostic in nature, somebody that maybe there's a family member that you've been trying to witness to and you're struggling to convince them that this thing called church is important. That there is an eternity, that there's an afterlife, Um, and 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 they they don't believe it or they doubt it, they deny it, they're struggling. So I want to give you a few witnessing techniques, okay? And these are so because because as you study eternity, two things will happen. You'll either get saved, and then if you are saved, you'll then get a heart and a desire for others to get saved, okay? So that's why I want to give you some witnessing techniques. And these witnessing techniques that I want to give you are um, uh, some of the best I've come around, some of the best I've heard. Now, what happens is, is with somebody who really struggles or denies God or is doubting the existence of God or heaven and hell, they will not take the Bible as a reference point to prove them wrong. Because they don't believe the Bible. Okay? So you can't use the Bible to win them because they don't believe the Bible. Now, once they believe, all their answers will be found in the Bible. They'll then believe the Bible. So how do you win them over if they don't believe and they doubt and they deny? Well, I got some witnessing techniques, so maybe you can take some notes. And I've got titles for these witnessing techniques, so maybe you could just jot down the title. You might remember them because they're pretty catchy, and and I think you'll like them. So one of the things is that this witnessing technique is called, the first one is called Justice is a Good Thing. And you can prove it to them by saying this, that you're okay with a human judge sentencing someone to death for a crime they've committed. You're okay with a human judge sentencing somebody behind bars for 20 life sentences. You're okay with that. See, you truly do believe in justice. God is a perfect judge, and he sentences to people to eternal destinations, but his judgments are absolutely perfect. So they, they do believe in judge justice and they do believe in a idea of a good judge and they do believe in law and order. So there's one way to witness to to them. Another way is, um, sometimes I call this one, I, I don't know why I call it this, but just in my mind, this is what I call it. Doesn't matter if you don't know the law, this one's called doesn't matter if you don't know the law, um, you are probably certain there's a hundred percent chance that every that you do not know all the laws of this world. Can I get an agreement on that? As a matter of fact, to understand all the laws, you've got to go to law school. And many people struggle because it's so difficult to learn all the laws to become a good lawyer, but you do not know all the laws. Now, are you judged personally? based upon your knowledge of the law or are you judged by how you followed the law whether you knew it or not? You're judged based upon the law whether you knew it or not. Oh, officer, I didn't know it was a 50, miles, it was a 50 mile per hour speed limit. I was going 75. He, what's he going to say? Oh, no, he's going to give you a ticket. and Maybe you've been there. You didn't know. I didn't know the law. I didn't know that it was against the law. I didn't know that it was against the law. You see, and when people will come face to face with God, what are they going to say? I didn't know that was the law. I didn't know that was written in the book. And God's going to say it was written out for you to know and read and understand. Whether you know it or not, I judge you based upon my written law, the word of God. Okay? You see? See how this this witnessing technique works? This next one is called... The greater the person you sin against, the greater the punishment. If my neighbor has a bee buzzing around in her grass and I step on that bee and I kill it, is there any punishment for me for killing a bee? No. What if my neighbor's dog is really annoying me and I take out my nine millimeter and I shoot it and I kill it? Is there a punishment for that? What if I killed my neighbor? Is there a greater punishment for killing my neighbor than her dog? What if I kill the president of the United States? Is he more important than my neighbor? He is. He is. (laughs) You will be judged and sentenced differently for killing the president of the United States. What if I sin against the creator of the universe and I mock him my entire life? And I deny his existence. And I laugh at other Christians. What's my, what's what's my, going to be my punishment for sinning against the creator of the universe, you see. See, judgment is a perfect thing. And we here on earth understand justice and understand judgment, understand punishments. This next one I call let a murderer in. Let a murderer in. Uh, what if you were watching TV with your family um, at night and a big news report, breaking news came on the television and it said there was, there was a, a person from prison who just escaped prison, he, he's a murderer and he is out in the streets and he is running around, be very careful, this is what he looks like and they showed his picture on the TV. And all of a sudden your, door, your doorbell rings, ding dong. You're like, whoa, it's kind of late at night, who's there? And you go and you open the door and it is the man that you saw on television just two seconds ago. And he said, I heard that you're a Christian. And, and, and you're good people. You're going to let me into your house and I'm going to live here and this is going to be a safe place for me and you're going to let me in. What are you going to do? What are you going to do as a Christian? You're going to say, No. No, I'm not letting a murderer into my house. Do you think God's going to let her, <laughs> do you think God's going to let a murderer into his house? Perfect God. And you, being imperfect, no right from wrong, you would not let a murderer into your home, would you? See, this is how people reason. I will live any way I want, and God is loving. Just like Dale Hill, he'll point his finger at you and you say, say, yeah, I heard you're a Christian, you're loving, you let me in. God, I heard you're, you're supposed to be loving, you let me in. What do you think God's going to do? He's going to do what you're going to do. He's going to shut the door and say, depart from me. I'm calling the cops. Right? Next one's called, The Punishment Fits the Crime. I explained this last week, and I'll explain it again, and this is a little bit of a different twist. But the punishment, actually I call this one, The Punishment Doesn't Fit the Crime. Sorry. Eternity in hell seems like too big of a punishment for maybe 70 years of sin. Wouldn't two years in hell be enough time to work off your sins? But here's the thing. Time is not valuable enough to pay off your sin. Only the blood of Jesus is valuable enough to pay off your sins. You can't work off your sins in hell or else that means good works on earth gets you into heaven. Only faith in Jesus and not works gets you into heaven. You can't pay off your debt with a currency God doesn't accept. The only currency God accepts is faith in Jesus and the blood of his son Jesus. You see how this works. So warn people, you're, you're trying to pay off your debts with all the wrong currency. A God who lives in eternity. What is time to him? What is 200 years? What is it? It's nothing. So why would he look at it as valuable? What if you handed a a trillionaire a penny? Would he find value in that? No. Why would God think a thousand years is worth anything? It's worth nothing. It's not valuable. He doesn't live on time. He lives in eternal space and time. His glory rolls through the ages, you see. How about this one? I'm a good person. I'll get to heaven. Some people say, if God doesn't let me into heaven, then he's hating me, and that is wrong. That's a hate crime. God only lets people into his home whom he knows. If you walk up to a stranger's mansion tonight, knocked on the door and said, I'm moving in because I'm a good person. What would they say? Well, they would say, I don't know who you are. And I only let people in who I know. See, the only way into heaven is to have a relationship with the son Jesus. Does he know you? Do you know him? See how this works. This last one here is called, there's only one road to heaven. It's only one road to heaven. If if, if, if uh, I was talking to you after church tonight, I say, hey, Paul, how you doing, man? You doing good? Do you want to come over to my house tonight? And just I got some ice cream cake, and I got some Starbucks coffee, and you just want to chat? Just hang out a little bit? Do you know where I live? No, he doesn't know where I live. You've never been to my house, right? Okay, well, and you're going to need to go north on Hickory Ridge Road. Then you're going to turn left on Fenton Road, and you're going to take that in Defenton, and there's a couple other turns, and that's how you get to my house, okay? What if Paul says, thanks for the directions to your home, and he goes out to Hickory Ridge, and he turns right. And then he hits M59, and he's like, I just want to go to Pontiac. And he just turns left, and he just goes to Pontiac. And like an hour goes by, and I'm like, Paul, where are you at? And he, thought, he says, well, I thought all the roads led to your house. i go, like, well, you... <laughs> What's wrong with you? I, cho- I told you how to get to my house. I wrote it out for you. And there's a road to get you there. Am I being mean or am I being specific? I'm being specific. And I've told you the way. And I've written it out. And it's been written down for thousands of years. And it's been preached from many pulpits there's only one road to heaven. If there's only one road to my home, there's only one road to heaven. So there's some witnessing techniques. Now, what did Jesus experience when he died? The the Bible does say a little bit about it, and I want to talk about that to you tonight for just a little bit here. Where did Jesus go when he died? Uh, If you were to read the Apostles' Creed, there's a part in the Apostles' Creed that says, Jesus descended into hell. Has anybody ever heard that? That is from the Apostles' Creed. Um, but the Bible does talk about it, it um, as well. Um, some scriptures actually seem to allude to this as well as but it can depend a little bit on how you translate it. Now the word hell is actually not in the Bible. It's actually the word Hades or Sheol. Has anybody ever heard of those words? And and what Christian tradition says, and what theologians say, and and what our Bible even says, is that before Jesus came and died and rose again, there was no streets of gold. There was no paradise up in heaven. What actually was, is there was this thing called Hades and Sheol. And You'll hear about it when you read in the Bible in Luke, um, when the rich man Lazarus, there's a discussion between the rich man and Lazarus and the Bible says that the the rich man goes to Hades, but the Lazarus also goes to Hades or Sheol. That's actually what the word of God says in the Greek. It says the same place. But the rich man is in a tormented place and Lazarus is actually in this place called um, Abraham's bosom. Has anybody ever heard of that word, Abraham's bosom? Abraham's bosom was a place... That the Bible calls it, where it was a peaceful place in Hades. A peaceful place in Hades. There was a tormenting place and a peaceful place. I know this is strange, isn't it? But it's in your Bible. And all of God's children went to the peaceful place in Hades or Sheol. It was called Abraham's bosom. And and Lazarus is standing with Abraham, and he's in peace, and he's in a nice place. And Lazarus, and the rich man is in a not nice place, and he's burning, and he's hot, and he's being tormented. And they talk to each other. They can see each other, and they can talk to each other, which further the torments of the rich man. And when Jesus died, what what did he do those three days he was dead? He went to Hades, he went to Sheol, and he did go to the peaceful place. And he told everybody, there is a brand new paradise prepared for you. Come with me. And actually says that he gave them gifts as he ushered them up. But Jesus actually also went into the bad part of Hades, and he preached to those who would hear him, and some were saved. I'll read it to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says, and it'll probably be on there, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world, that's Hades, Sheol, in the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself and also in 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 18 to 20 it says this Christ suffered for our sins once for all time he never sinned but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God he suffered physical death but he was raised to life in the spirit so he went and preached to the spirits in prison those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building the, his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. So he's telling you what Jesus did, those three days he was dead. He went through Hades and he went through Sheol, and he saved as many as he could that would hear His message. Of course, some were so hard-hearted and denied him. And then also he ushered all those that were in Abraham's bosom up into paradise, and he gave them gifts as they went up. Isn't that wonderful? So that's what Jesus did those 3 days he was dead. Um and so that's kind of how you can explain it and so the idea of of hell is is different now than what we so Jesus he when he rose from the dead, he ushered in entrance to the Father. And so he brought up people closer to the Father that were in Abraham's bosom. Okay? And and they were the so the first person into actual heavenly paradise with streets of gold was the thief on the cross. The first person into Abraham's bosom or the peaceful place of Sheol was Abel. Cain murdered Abel. And so Abel is in heaven, heaven, the place that we're going to be. And then after all this is said and done, there's going to be a brand new earth. And that place with streets of gold, we won't be for eternity. You're actually going to be on the earth, a brand new earth for eternity. It'll be a different place than where Jesus is currently at right now. So things will change again for us. Okay. So we might, some of you might not even ever get to the streets of gold. The rapture may happen. Okay. So then you'll never die. That'd be weird. Wouldn't it? Okay. I want to, um, introduce this idea here. Um, I want to I want to just talk about the three kingdoms that exist right now. There's God's kingdom, there's devil's kingdom, and then there's an earthly kingdom. And they are extremely similar. And this is on purpose because the devil mirrors his kingdom after God's kingdom because he doesn't know any other way. He's not a creator. He can't create any. He can't create. He can only... He can only do a shadow of what God has done. So the devil's kingdom is set up very similar to God's kingdom. In our earthly kingdom, the earth we live in, the way that we rule and reign on this earth is very similar to heaven. And that's because we were created by God and it's in us. It's in us. Okay. Now let's talk about these three kingdoms real quickly here. Now they're similar. And what do I mean by that? They are similar because there's rules for all three kingdoms. There's ranks. There's ranks. And there's consequences for mistakes. Do you think a demon can rebel against Lucifer? Or do you think he'd be punished if he ever said a word about negative to him or in a rebellion to him? He'd be punished. He'd be punished, you see. There's rules, ranks, and consequences for mistakes in all three kingdoms. Hell gives out punishments based on the life you lived on earth. Different levels of punishment. There's degrees of punishment based upon the life you lived, Heaven gives out crowns and rewards based upon the life you lived. Not all will give, be given the same reward as, uh, uh, in heaven, but your reward will still be perfect for you, and you'll be happy with it. You'll want to be jealous of somebody else's reward. And here on earth, you will be rewarded or punished based upon the choices you have made. And God has put this in our hearts, okay? Now, I'll prove it to you. God's kingdom— Jesus says that James and John can't sit at his right hand unless they're willing to drink from this cup, which tells us your rewards in heaven are different and unique based upon the life you've lived on earth. Oh, Can my son sit on your right and your left hand as you rule and reign forever, Jesus? Well, what does Jesus tell them? Can they drink from the cup that I'm about to drink of? Can they suffer like I'm going to suffer? Can, can, can they be patient and humble like I'm patient and humble? If they can, there's obviously special saints around him. There's the 70, right? How do they get there? They're being rewarded for the life they lived on this earth, okay? And so that's how God's kingdom works. Jesus, and also in the Bible, Jesus shares a parable about the talents, and he gave different talents to different people and rewarded them differently based upon the decisions they made. Then there's the devil's kingdom. There's a hierarchy and a ranking in the devil's kingdom. There are degrees of punishment, but none are tolerable. Now we have the earthly kingdom. We on this earth, we have order, law, rulers, leaders, checks and balances, because we were created by God, and he put these Within us. They're from him. Okay. I want to show you now a, a video. Um, it's actually, it's like a 20-minute video um, of a story. This is a man sharing his story of, of dying. His name is Howard Storm. He's still alive today. He lives in Ohio. Uh, during the, his life, he was an avowed atheist, a militant atheist, He was a studio arts professor at Northern Kentucky University for more than 20 years. But today, after his near-death experience, he's actually an ordained minister and a pastor at Zion United Church of Christ in Cincinnati, Ohio. So one of the reasons I want to show you this story is because this is a man who went from one way of thinking and living his life to a completely different way of thinking and living his life because of what he experienced after death. And I love that he is a committed, strong Christian. He's a pastor. So which tells me he experienced something, didn't he? He experienced something that changed his life forever. He's not wishy-washy. I've heard him tell this story in numerous different forums, lots of times, and it's never changed one time. He always cries at the same part. He always tells it the exact same way, which tells me he's telling the truth and his life shows that he's that he's a truth teller. His life proves it by his fruit, okay? So I want you to watch his story of Howard Storm from an atheist to a pastor, how he died and what he experienced after death and 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 how everything has has gone for him. But this is what I want you to do as you watch the video. Pay, please pay attention, even write down biblical themes and patterns from what we've talked about already and from what you know in the Bible. So what's going to happen is he's, gonna, he's an atheist. So he's going to experience the afterlife from a no biblical knowledge whatsoever and a denial of, the, of a creator God and Jesus. Okay, But I want you to notice biblical themes and patterns as he talks, and I want you to write them down, and we'll share them on the microphone here at the, after it's done, and then we'll have a quick time of Q&A. Does that sound good? Okay, so play that, a Howard Storm story.
1: I was a 38-year-old college professor, and I taught art, and I had taken a group of students and my wife, and we had gone around Europe, and we had just done three-week tour, and this was the next to the last day, and we were in Paris, and at 11 o'clock in the morning, I had um, a perforation of my stomach. When this happened, the pain was the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my life, and it just dropped me right down to the ground. And so I'm twisting and kicking and moaning and screaming and yelling around on the floor, and... My wife called an emergency, called the desk, and they called an emergency service. A doctor came, and he called an ambulance, because he knew what was wrong. And they took me about eight miles across town to the public hospital, to the general hospital of Paris, where I was taken into emergency, examined by two more doctors who knew exactly what was wrong with me. And then they took me away to the surgery hospital, which was a couple blocks away. And I was parked there because there wasn't any surgeon available to do the surgery. And so there I lay for um, 8 to 10 hours in that hospital with no medication, no examination, no attention whatsoever, awaiting a surgeon to come to give me this operation that was critical. And it's now 8.30 at night. Nurse came in and said that they were very sorry they weren't able to get a doctor for me and they'd get one the next day. Well, when she said that, I knew that it was over for me. I knew that I was dead. The only thing that was keeping me alive was I didn't want to die. I was scared to death of dying because as far as I knew, I was a atheist, non-believer person who lived for their the gratification they could get out of the moment and you know like dying to me was like the worst I mean next to the pain dying was the worst thing that could happen to you because it's the end of life and there was no more there wasn't anything else but when she said that the idea of trying to exist for another minute another hour in this pain it wasn't worth it anymore I'd been hanging on in the hopes that they told me that they'd get a doctor and do the surgery and open me up and and fix the problem inside of me, but when they said they couldn't get one, so I said to my wife, it's time for us to say goodbye, because I'm going to die now. And she got up, and she put her arms around me, and mine on the bed, and she told me how much she loved me, and I told her how much I loved her, and this makes me really sad. And um, we made our goodbyes, you know, said those things that you'd say to the we'd been married 20 years say all those kinds of things I can't tell because I'll just start crying but um, she finally sat down because she knew it was over and I knew and it was just so hard looking at her crying like that and I just closed, closed my eyes just let it go and I went unconscious I probably was unconscious for a very short while a few minutes probably And I was conscious again. And I looked, opened my eyes and looked, and I was standing up next to my bed. And I knew exactly where I was and what the situation was. I mean, there was no confusion in my mind. I felt um, more alive, more real than I've ever felt in my life. You know, people ask me, you know, were you a ghost? I I was just the opposite, very alive. As I'm looking around the room, I see that there's, underneath the sheet on the bed, there's something under the sheet, a body. And so I bent over the bed, the head was turned away from me, and I looked at the face, and it looked like me. But that wasn't possible, because I was standing there, I'm alive, I'm great, you know. I mean, I'm more than great, I'm like, you know. And so I tried to talk to my wife. Can't you hear and, me? Can't you hear me? You know, she couldn't hear me or That's see not me! me. But I thought what's going on that she just was ignoring me. So I got very angry at her for ignoring me, for not paying attention to me. And I'm screaming and yelling at her, what's going on here? Why, why is this body in the bed that looks like me and how did it get there and stuff like that? And I a sneaking suspicion that the body in the bed was me, but I didn't want to think about that because that was too scary. So I'm getting really agitated and upset because this is all too weird. You know, this can't be happening. It's impossible. And um, I've got a hospital gown on, and it's like, really, everything's really real. And I hear people calling me outside the room, and they're saying to me in soft, gentle voices, Howard, you gotta come with us now. Come quickly. Come out here. So I go over to the doorway of the room, and there's people out in the hallway, and they're... Um, uh, the hallway's dank. It's gray. Not, it's not light or dark, it's just gray. And they're all in grayness. And they're men and women. And what they're wearing might possibly be hospital uniforms. Um, and I asked them if they were from the doctor to take me. To the operation and I told them I said I'm really sick and I'm going to have an operation and I'm going to die if I don't get this operation and I was supposed to have the operation eight hours ago and I'm telling them all this stuff and they're going well, you know, we know, we know, we understand
2: Howard you know, quickly, you got to come, come with us Howard, Howard, come, Howard quickly. come out here Howard, come quickly come with us Howard, we've been waiting for you waiting I waiting.
1: left the room which was real, clear, bright and went into the hallway, which was dank and hazy, and um, followed these people. We had a very long journey. There's no there's no time, and whenever I make a reference to time, <laughs> it's just an illusion, because there was no time in this place. But this journey, if I were to recreate it, I'd have to walk like from Nashville to Louisville or something to, to recreate the, the walk with these people. And as we walked, they stayed around me and kept moving me on, and it kept getting darker and darker. Um, they were becoming more and more openly hostile to me first they were sort of syrupy sweet to get me to go with them and then when i was going along with them it was like hurry up keep moving you know shut up stop asking you know it started getting more um, ugly and so we get into complete darkness and i'm absolutely terrified because people are very hostile i don't know where i am i said i'm not going to go with you any further they said "Um, you're almost there and we started to fight I I was trying to get away from them they were pushing and pulling at me and um, there are now a lot of them what originally had been like a handful now was since it was darkness hundreds or thousands I I I have no idea and they're playing with me You know, clearly they could have just destroyed me if they wanted to. They didn't want to destroy me. What they wanted to do was they wanted to inflict pain on me because they derived, pleasure is not the right word, but they derived satisfaction out of the pain that I experienced. So what they were doing in the beginning part was, it's real hard for me to talk about and I don't, And I'm not going to tell you much about it, just a little bit. Because it gets, I mean, it just gets too ugly. Uh, But initially they were like tearing and biting. Um, Tearing with their fingernails, scratching, gouging, ripping, and then uh, biting. Trying to defend myself trying to fight them off, trying to get away from them. But there's, it's like being um, in a beehive. There's just hundreds of them all over me. And I eventually was just laying on the ground there, all ripped up. um, Pain everywhere, inside, outside. And even harder to bear than the physical pain was the emotional pain of what had just happened to me the utter degradation that I just experienced you know I never once felt that it was um, unjust or wrong I heard my voice it wasn't somebody else's voice it wasn't the voice of God or anything it was my voice and I heard it speak but I didn't speak it so, whether it's the voice of my conscience or I don't know what it was, it was just. But I distinctly heard my voice say, "Pray to God." And so, I thought to myself, "I don't believe in God. Pray to God." And I'm thinking, even if I could pray, I don't know how to pray anymore. I haven't prayed, and at that time, I probably hadn't prayed in 22, 23 years. So, and so I'm thinking, like when when I was a child, and we said prayers in Sunday school, and we said prayers in church, and. What did we say? And I'm trying to think of it. I'm trying to think of it because the, to me, to pray was to recite something that I'd learned. That's what. It, that's what I thought a prayer was then. So I'm. Let's see. The Lord is my shepherd. Um, give us this day our daily bread. My country, tis of thee. No, that's not a prayer. That's wrong. Um, let's see. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Four score and seven years ago, our forefather. And you know, I'm getting all mixed up. I can't remember how to pray. And then the people who were around me, if I, every time I'd like mention God, these people who would attack me and beat me. Every time I mentioned God, it was as if mentioning God was throwing boiling water on them. They would shriek. They would scream. They would yell, and in worse profanity that than anything I've ever. Heard in this world. The other thing that was happening was that they they um, couldn't bear to be around me talking about God. It was so it was so painful for them to hear about God that they kept backing away, backing away, backing away. And so I had a sense that I could push them away by talking about God. And so I'm trying to remember prayers, and I'm getting all confused and mixed up, and it was just all um crazy. And I'm lying there, and eventually I realized that they're gone and I'm alone. Now I was alone there for an eternity, and what I mean by that was um, absolutely no sense of time. But I thought about my life, thought about what I'd done and what I hadn't done. I thought about the situation I was in, and this the conclusion that I came to was, is that I had lived an entirely, my adult life, I had lived a selfish life, my only God in my adult life was myself. I realized that I was, um, you know, something terribly, terribly wrong with my life and that the people that attacked me were the same kind of people that I was. They were not monsters, they weren't demons, they were people who had missed it. The, the point of being born and being alive in this world. They'd missed it, and they'd lived lives of selfishness and cruelty. And now we're in a world where there was nothing else. There was nothing but selfishness and cruelty. And they were doomed to inflict that upon each other and upon themselves. Uh, probably forever and ever and ever and ever without end. Um, and now I was a part of it and it seemed like although I didn't want to be there it seemed like probably the right place for me to be there was a sense of like this is what I deserve because this is what I lived you can't imagine how emotionally painful that was and I'm lying there for time without end thinking about my fate and in the back of my mind comes up an image of myself as a child sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing, Jesus Loves Me. Right hear in my mind, Jesus loves me, la, la, la. Jesus loves me, la, la. And as I recalled myself singing it and heard my, I could hear myself as a child singing it. More important than anything else was that I could feel it in my heart that there was a time in my life when I was young and innocent, when I believed in something good, when I believed in something other than myself, when I believed in someone who was all good, all powerful, who really, really cared about me, and I knew that I wanted. That back that which I had lost that I'd thrown away that I'd betrayed I want I wanted that back that I didn't know Jesus but I wanted to know Jesus I didn't know his love but I wanted to know his love I didn't I didn't know if he was real but I wanted him to be real you know I mean this was, was all just because I trusted that there was a time in my life that I had believed in something that that um, I knew, I had known once as a child that it was true, and I wanted to trust that it was true. So I called Jesus! out into the darkness, Jesus, please save me. Please, save me. And he came. He came. At first there was a tiny little speck of light in the darkness, and it very rapidly got bright. And the light became so bright that... Um, if it were in this world, it would have it would have consumed me. I just would have fried me to a crisp. But it wasn't at all hot or dangerous. There, the light just came upon me, and he reached down. He was in this light, and he reached down on this light, and gently started to pick me up. And in his light, I could see that I was gore and filth and wounds all over, and I, was, I looked like roadkill. And he's gently putting his hands underneath me and, and very tenderly picking me up. And as he's touching me, everything just goes away. All the wounds, all the pain, all the dirt, just, just kind of like um, evaporated away. And I'm like whole and healed. And inside... Uh, just filled with his love which I wish I could be more articulate about it's so frustrating not being able to tell people about it because you know it's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life I mean it's, it's like the, it's the everything you know it's the all of, of life is to know that love and you know I get to it and I just can't describe it I can't convey it to you so he's holding me and embracing me, rubbing my back like a father would his son, like a mother would her daughter, just gently rubbing my back and I'm bawling like a baby, out of happiness, I mean like the the, the release, the, you know, having been lost and now been found, having been dead and now brought back to life, you know. And he's carrying me out of there. Up, we just go, out, go on. And we're moving towards a world of light, and uh, I began to have thoughts of tremendous shame that I've been so bad. So um, I thought of myself as dirt, garbage, filth. And I thought to myself, he's made a mistake. I don't belong here. He doesn't want me. You know, it's like the shame. Like how could he? How could he care about me? You know, why me? Um, I'm bad. And we stopped. We weren't in hell. We weren't in heaven. We were in between. And we stopped. And he said, we don't make mistakes. You belong here. And we began to converse, and he was talking and telling me things. And he brought over some angels, and we went over my life from beginning to end. And what they wanted to show me in my life was what I had done right and what I had done wrong. And without going through my whole life story, it was real simple, real simple. When I had been a loving, kind person, considerate of other people, it made the angels happy, it made Jesus happy, and they let me know that it made God happy. And when I had um, been selfish and manipulative, it made the angels unhappy, it made Jesus unhappy, and they let me know that it made God unhappy. Uh, What they were trying to convey to me in a nutshell was my whole purpose of my existence had been to love God love my neighbor as myself that's why I had been created that's what I was in this world (coughs) too to do and to learn and I had failed they told me that I had to come back to this world and I got real upset because I wanted to go to heaven what they told me about heaven it's like the most fun, most interesting, I mean, it's the most wonderful place, I mean everybody every, everybody would want, you know, want to go to heaven and I want to get there And they said that I wasn't ready, I wasn't fit, that it wasn't my time to go to heaven, it was my time to come back to this world and try and live the way that God wanted me to live, the way God had created me to live in the first place I told them Jesus and the angels that I couldn't live in this world without them and I said that I would have my heart would break to send me back to this world because they were they'd be there and I'd be here and they said to me you you don't get the, you don't get it what is the matter we were trying to we were showing you all this we've explained to you we've always been there we're all we always have been there we've always been with you all this time and don't you've never been alone down there I said you've got to you've got to let me know that you're around once in a while so they said if I prayed and confessed my sins to God gave gave what I had And, and they meant what they meant by what I had was gave my worries my cares my hopes my dreams just gave it all up to God that there would be times when they would be there and I would know in my heart that they were there. I wouldn't necessarily see them or hear them, but I would, I would, I would feel the love like I'd felt it then. And I said, if you will assure me that there are times when I can know that love, I could live in this world. And I said that they would do that. And with that, they sent me back. After the experience, the uh, nurse who had been in the room a few minutes before and said they couldn't find a doctor, and they tried to get one the next time, she came running back to the room and she said, a doctor's arrived at the hospital, which was like, this is all pretty miraculous stuff. Because this is now like um, 9.30 at night, around 9, 9.30 at night. She said, doctor's arrived at the hospital and we're gonna have um, do surgery on you right away. And some orderlies and people came in and they threw my wife out of the room. Um, and it's very disturbing because I was trying to tell them and I wanted to tell my wife what had happened to me. So when um, I passed my wife in the hall on the gurney on the way to the surgery, um, I said everything's going to be great. And she just started bawling because she thought like that was like a dying man, you know? <laughs> you know. strange thing about the experience is the memory hasn't dulled at all. It's real intense. Um, and I don't know, it just stays intense. And I believe that one of the reasons that God gave me this experience so that I would have an opportunity to share it with someone. I don't know who, I never know who. But I would have the opportunity to share it with somebody so that it could be of help to them.
0: All right, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? So what's were some biblical themes? that you saw as you were watching it, you thought, oh, he's, he's, he's quoting scripture, you know, th- what what was happening? A- anybody? Okay. Hold on. We'll get the microphone so everybody can hear.
2: I was going to say, um, like right when he, when he lost consciousness and he said he felt more alive than when he was alive. And then later, all the things that became very clear to him, it was like what we see in a mirror darkly, we'll we will become, We'll know in full that even the experience of life, we'll know it more fully than the life that we're living now.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. He felt more alive, more himself. Hmm, interesting. Yeah.
1: I think um, uh, when he said, you know, when Jesus came to him and the light was there, it was a, like a theme of redemption and uh, forgiveness.
0: He's a bright light. He's the light. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Anything else you guys saw? I I noticed he. Yeah, yeah go ahead.
2: It reminded me of a, of a verse about hell. He talked about how the uh, these people were like um, uh, biting him and torturing him, and uh, Jesus would talk about hell where there would be uh, gnashing of teeth, and um, it just reminded me of, of, of what had Jesus when he had. Taught about hell and what he had said about it.
0: That's true. Uh, um, he he said that uh, he he knew he belo- he belonged there. He deserved it. That was his fate. You see how perfect God's judgment is. You will not argue with God. You will say, God, you have made the correct decision. This is who I am. You see how perfect God's judgments are. Then he was. Selling him, you've made a mistake. See, I don't deserve this. That's the kind of heart Jesus wants from us. Oh, Jesus, I don't deserve this salvation. We can't get prideful. What other? Did anybody else notice any themes? Yeah.
2: About when he, they, he said that he could feel the angels, he could feel Jesus, because he's always with us.
0: Uh, yes. And also, I, he had a sense of eternity. He said, I, I walked forever. There was no time. I laid there forever. I lay it there for eternity. Time, time stops. It ceases to exist. One minute might as well be a million years. It doesn't really matter. You see, he, what he says, he was there for eternity. You know? So anyway, any other themes that you saw or heard him say something you felt like, oh, that, that's biblical or that's, that feels like something in the Bible? My beautiful wife. Hold on. Um, James two nineteen.
2: It says, You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, and he was talking about how he was trying to come up with prayers and things in that moment whenever he would mention God, how they would shudder and scream and um, push back. And so, the, just the power of who he is.
0: Yeah, the power of prayer, the power of just the name of God or the name of Jesus, right? It's powerful, isn't it? So, you have another one? Yeah, awesome.
2: I was taking notes here. You know, I thought it was so remarkable that he experienced that memory of a child when he was a child. And that song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And it reminded me of Paul who wrote, I think it's in Romans, um, all men are without excuse. And even the most simplest thing, God in his mercy and grace, will bring a revelation of his love, his mercy, his salvation into our lives, even as a child. So if a child has been exposed to the gospel and they turn their back on the Lord and they never open their heart up again to the gospel, that moment in that person's life as a child will have been there without excuse. They were told about Jesus. They knew he was real.
0: And, and he said as a child, he believed. And he so desperately wanted a faith like a child again. And then you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you have childlike faith. And by, Jesus says, heaven is full of such as these, these children. Children, you have faith like a child. Also, when he was there, he was himself. His, his thoughts were his thoughts. His life back on earth was, he knew who he was. He thought of his family, right? I thought of my wife. I thought of all the mistakes I had made, what I should have done differently, I thought of all of it. And that's what the rich man and Lazarus had the same conversation. The rich man says, "He knew who his family was. Could you send somebody to my family? Could you ride? Could you send somebody back from the dead to tell my family not to come here?" Please. You see, you are who you are. You remember your life. You you're just you're you're it's it's wild stuff, isn't it? Okay, so all these biblical themes throughout. Um, we've got a few minutes, just a few minutes. Honestly, we don't have much time, but I, I would love to answer questions if I can, or if you've got questions, um, go ahead and ask them. If we don't get to you, you can, you can email me or Facebook me um, your questions, and I can try to answer you throughout the week if you want to do that. But does, does anybody have any questions here with the last few minutes that we have left this evening? Any questions at all? Okay, we've got a brave one here. Let's do this. It's kind of scary to have a question, but go
2: ahead. I just wonder why uh, Jesus let him out. I mean, doesn't everybody want out? Wouldn't everybody call on Jesus? I can't see being there and not call on Jesus. But Jesus let him out.
0: So that's an interesting question. I can't. He says, I can't imagine anybody down there not calling on Jesus. Well, that's a that's a false assumption because people hate Jesus. And who you are is who you are. You, you hate and despise God in this life, you will hate and despise God even in the next life. And more so. Actually, when the Bible says that in hell there's, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, this idea of gnashing of teeth is not a gnashing of pain and a gritting of the, of the jaw because you're in pain. It's actually anger and hatred toward Jesus. That's what, how that gnashing is translated. When they stone Stephen, it says they gnashed their teeth at him. And she says that in the Bible. That is a hellish way of living your life. They're very angry and they're gnashing and they're hostile. That's who's in hell. Nobody's in hell calling on Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. Trust me. Another question. Hold on. Here we go.
2: This wasn't really a question. It was like a statement. I think that what he was saying is not everybody gets a chance to come back. Who's the you know ones that are, get that second chance and who's to say who's not? He was just very fortunate because he could have died and very well.
0: I can see that. Yeah, she's right. You're, you were thinking, why does he get to come back and not, every, not somebody else? And I would say that God doesn't make mistakes. That every single person who's gone from this life to the next, it was their time to go. And they had had their opportunities, either took advantage of them or didn't. Their judgment was set. God makes no mistakes. We don't want to get here thinking that God has made mistakes and not letting certain ones back and letting others back. I don't think that's what we're trying to accomplish here tonight. But to understand that God is absolutely perfectly perfect, and all he does, he makes absolutely no mistakes. And And who he, he decides to... Bring back comes back. As a matter of fact, uh, we get a lot of people coming back now because of the medical, um, the way the medicine is now. People are resuscitated all the time now, and they come back and they tell of things such as these. And not everybody gets to the point where Howard Storm got to in their journey into the afterlife. Some just kind of come out of the body a little bit and then go right back down. As a matter of fact, Jen's uncle had a heart attack in the year 2020, had a near-death experience where he came out of his body. He saw everybody working on him in the hospital room. He could tell you where people were standing and what they were doing, even though he was unconscious. And he floated up out of the hospital room and he saw his dad, right? And he was very excited about seeing his dad. And who else perfect peace. Saw his dad and felt absolute perfect peace, but then came back into his body. I don't know what that is, but he was resuscitated. Anyway, that just happened, which is strange, isn't it? All right, we got another question from, all right, this is the last question. If you got questions, just text me or email me or something.
2: So when Jesus was talking about Lazarus talking with the rich man, was that what you described at the beginning about Abraham's bosom and so that's not the same heaven like we're not going to be in heaven and listening to the people gnashing their teeth and all that.
0: So um, they, that, that where, where the Lazarus went and he was standing next to Abraham that was Abraham's bosom in Sheol and they were communicating for a moment with the rich man. Now, can you See hell from heaven? I guess so. I guess you could see it if you wanted to. But he- heaven is best described as this. Any- all good things that you want to do, you can do in heaven. I don't know why you'd want to look and peer upon hell, but I guess you could if you wanted to. Now, part of the torment of hell is they can see heaven. That's part of the torment. They can see what they're missing out on. If only they would have confessed, repented, and believed. It's so simple. It's so easy. Why be so hard-hearted to suffer for eternity? Why? So I hope that this gives you some passion to reach the lost. A passion to repent of your sins. A desire to repent of your sins. There is absolutely no reason to hold on to something, when Jesus is so is so excited to forgive and welcome home all his children, his desire is that none should perish. Amen. So next week we're going to talk about heaven. Yes, and it's going to be wonderful and beautiful. I'll try to use as much Bible as I can, but I'll also I'm also going to share stories. Okay, I'm going to share a wonderful story of. Of a man named Richard Sigmund. His wonderful story. Okay? It's going to be great next week, and we'll share a lot of other stuff as well. All right. You're dismissed. See you later. Have a great night.